Welcome to Waypoint. My name is Blair. Uh, we started a series a few weeks ago called Friendship Maze. We did not give it that name because you would have to drive a maze to find your way to church each Sunday. Um, that won't happen every week. We're told Tuesday they're going to open this back up. It's construction. We'll see. Uh, and then they're going to close it down one more time, so you just have to hang in there. Uh, the reason we called this Friendship Maze is because right now in our society, we're experiencing the high, highest levels ever recorded of loneliness. Uh, people are feeling isolated, uh, and it's resulting in outcomes that are terrible for people. And one of those factors, there's a lot, there's a lot going on, but one of those factors is friendships. The way friendships have always formed, the way friendships have worked and operated in the past, our modern kind of culture has changed how that's working for a lot of people, and it's not working for a lot of people. And so we're trying to address it over um, a series of weeks. Last week, we talked about a process that's been around for a really long time. This is a process of how you develop friendships. And I didn't have time to do this last week, but I'm going I'm to recap it real quick, and I'm going to add something that I didn't tell you last week that I think will make some sense as to why I am so convinced that this is still the way it works, okay? So there's layers of relationships, and one of those layers right at the bottom, it's a thick layer, is public relationships. This is where you learn public information about each other. You talk to us each other about like common stuff. This is where I would know that Jim Tapman is an Ohio State fan and he is dying to talk to every Notre Dame fan here today, right? And every Notre Dame fan is going to try to avoid him today because that's how this works. Public space. Like th and this kind of what makes things go. You, you learn stuff about each other. And in that space... There could be three to 500 people that you know casually. Now, let me ask you this question. Did Jesus have public space in his life? He had a public ministry where he saw lots of people. He didn't interact with all of them. Some of them he just taught, like he would teach thousands at a time. But he interacted with hundreds, hundreds of people. He had this space in his life. This space is important because you get to know people and you figure out who you like, who, whose character you like, the kind of things that you would like to do. And you start to hang out and you move to the next layer with people. That social space where you, you start to hear people's opinions. You get things that they think and they might rub you the wrong way, but it's okay because you like them. And so you're challenged and you grow because of that. In that space, there's 60 to 100 people that if, if you have that, you're a pretty healthy person. Let me ask you this. Did Jesus have social space? Uh, I don't know if you know this, but when he traveled, he didn't just travel with his disciples. There was actually a group of women who went along with him, took care of their meals and all kinds of stuff, actually supported the ministry financially. There, there was a large group of others who were considered disciples, not just the main 12. And in fact, if you'll think about this, um, after Jesus' ascension, 
He sends a group of people back to an upper room in Jerusalem to wait until the Holy Spirit shows up. How many people were in that upper room? Does anybody remember? 120. There were 120 people. I am convinced these are the people that Jesus hung with. Now, you, you hang out with these kind of people. Because as you do that with people that you like, you figure out who you can trust. And when you find people that you can trust, you move to the next layer. The next layer is personal space. And the research on this says over the course of your whole lifetime, 12 people will fill that space. How many close disciples did Jesus have? 12. By the way, this is free. We're not going to talk about this, but I want you to think about this. That also means that Jesus experienced a betrayal with somebody who was personally close to him. He, he understands what we have gone through and how we've gone through it. You, you build trust with that group of people, and eventually over time you figure out that there are some people in that group that you can just bear your soul to. They know everything, and they still love you. Uh, the research says, how many people over the course of your whole lifetime will fill that space your whole lifetime? Three. Let me ask you this. When Jesus went up to the Mount of Transfiguration and experienced this incredible moment in his life, who did he invite? Peter, James, and John. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane at the lowest moment of his life and he stepped away to pray and he asked three disciples to come with him to pray with him in that moment, who did he ask? Peter, James, and John. He had an intimate relationship where they saw him at his heights and they saw him as he was facing death. And praying that, God, if you have any other way, let this cup pass from me. I, I'm pointing this out because I am convinced that this is how this has worked for thousands of years, that even Jesus himself was operating based on this. And so if you can understand that this is, this is kind of a process that's been going on for a long period of time, then you can open yourself up to entering into this process. But for some people... Um, they want to cheat the process. They look at the bottom two layers and they think to themselves, that's a waste of time. Those are casual relationships that don't have depth or meaning. I'd like to skip that and get right to the personal stuff. I'd like to skip that and find my intimate friend and then I'll be set. It doesn't work that way. It never has. It never will. And as, as much as we hate formulas, the best way I could say this is it's time plus face-to-face -face plus levels equals connection. If, if you want to experience connection in your life, that's, that's the process. You're going to have to put in time face-to-face -face at different levels, and over time, you'll feel connected. Now, what I want to address today uh, they just sang a song about. Uh, they sang a song about how 
people perceive that some people are cool and some are not. I, I don't know how that works, but I can tell you this. I've had a lot of conversations with people over this over the years, and when you ask them, are you one of the cool kids, almost everybody says no. Like, I was messed up. I was an outsider. I was different. I was all of this sort of stuff. What's, what's funny to me is I've met kids that others would have considered the cool kids and they didn't think of themselves that way at all. They, they didn't see it. And why this is important is because the perceptions that you carry, the perceptions that you and I carry about life and how life works, they follow us. They shape the choices and decisions you make. And if you believe that you're not a cool kid and you don't fit in and you carry some of those beliefs into this process of making relationships, it can get messy real fast. And I have become convinced that the mindset that you have as you step into the process of relationships matters a great deal. Now, uh, one of the reasons I've concluded that is because I've spent some time um, going through my past and thinking about the few times in my life I truly felt alone. Those are, um, they were abnor abnormal kind of seasons for me. I don't normally have that sense, but uh, there were two. And uh, they were tied to circumstances that I was going through. And uh, in the middle of those circumstances, things were happening to me that did not normally happen to me. I was not sleeping at night. That is, I'm a, I, I go to bed and I sleep. And I could not sleep. Stuff was racing through my mind at a rate that I couldn't quiet it down. And as it went, I was just getting more and more tired and more and more exhausted. But I believe that even if I tried to explain what was happening to me, nobody would really understand. Like, you wouldn't understand what was going on with me. This is unique to me. This is a unique circumstance to me. And I even at one point considered that even if I could try to explain this to somebody, I'm not sure I should because I felt like it was my responsibility to bear. I had made a decision. Things had gotten difficult. It was time to just tough it out and to go for it. And, and that's what I was trying to do. Like I was trying to do that. But I can think, I can think of moments where I sat in my office upstairs and I thought, I should just give up. I don't know why in the world I'm doing this. It doesn't matter what choices I make, whether they're right or wrong right now, this whole thing is going to end in a dumpster fire. And I'm a part of it. Right? Which was a new thing for me. Because normally what happens is I find a silver lining in something and I ride it into the ground. Like, very, like, Pollyannic. There was no silver lining. 
I could find no silver lining. And I felt completely alone. Now, um, what I'm grateful for is that uh, God met me in those moments. And he very clearly reminded me that I wasn't alone. And then he challenged a belief I had. Each time, each time I've gone through this, he challenged a perception that I had carried in my life that was shaping the way I was viewing everything in that moment. And I'll tell you right now, changing that view was one of the hardest things I've ever done because I was holding that view because I believed it was right, which is why you hold the perceptions that you hold. You, you don't hold it thinking, I'm going to believe this thing. I'm going to have this attitude. I'm going to take this ideal because I think it's wrong. I'm going to look at this experience that I'm evaluating and I'm going to conclude wrong things out of it and then I'm going to hold on to it. You do that because you think it's right, that you've got the right view. And holding on to that right view we make a mess. This is one of the problems of a culture that values individualism so much. We value our individual selves so much that we will believe ourselves over any other kind of information that we get. You know when it really gets terrible? We'll believe the worst things about ourselves if we believe it, and it doesn't matter what anybody else says. We do it all. And this morning, I'm convinced that there are some perceptions about friendships that people might be carrying, and your only way, your only way past that is for you to intersect your life with God and to let him speak some truth to you. To let him say, you know what, I get it. Jeremiah wrote about this. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? See, I don't know if you realize this, but your fear, your anxiety, the experiences that you sometimes, like ugly, horrible experiences that you have, have the ability to inform your life and hide the truth from you. Hides the truth from you. And here's the only answer. Verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. Do it to reward the person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. God says, I know you. I know what's true about you. And when you hold on to perceptions that harm you, you and the community that you're with lose. So before um, we get in, I'm going to just look at uh, four different perceptions that I think we carry into this process of friendship that causes problems. And before we do that, I just want to pray with us. So would you just bow your heads and quiet your heart?
God, we, um, we collect ideas, we collect thoughts, we collect experiences over time that inform us about how life works. And sometimes we're deceived by our, by our very own heart. And God, as we uh, bring ourselves before you this morning, I ask that the Holy Spirit would be active in speaking what's true. That uh, not everybody's carrying all of these perceptions, but if somebody's got one that's just locking up their life right now, I, I just ask that the Spirit would speak clearly to them. Hey, it's time to go in a different direction. Let's address this. Let's find a way to move off this idea. And by doing so, God, you open them up to the possibility that friendships could form. God, will you start opening the hearts and minds of people now? Because they do not have these perceptions Lightly, they believe they're right. And only you, if we're willing to trust you, can tell us the truth. So we put ourselves before you and ask for you to be our guide. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I want to talk about four perceptions that you could be carrying right now. I, I want to do an easy one first. I've heard it a lot. Uh, I think it's probably the simplest one to address. And I think it happens for different reasons. Uh, but it can prevent you from even entering into the process of having friendships. So if the, if the process is I've got to start collecting a whole bunch of public friendships and just getting to know people casually and having conversations... You might not even do that if you believe this. I don't need friends. I don't need friends. This usually happens, this kind of thought usually happens after you feel like you've tried. I tried to put myself out there. I tried to engage with some people. And somewhere along the line, you got hurt in the process. It, it felt like, man, somebody... Uh, rejected me or I got stung or whatever. And so you withdraw and you conclude, I just don't need friends. And you tell yourself, I don't need friends. I don't need friends. I don't need friends. It's a voice that repeats over and over. But here's what I would suggest to you. If, if you would carefully listen, you might also find a second Thing that's being said at the core of you because this thing often has a fellow traveler. So the fellow traveler says, there must be something wrong with me. There must be something wrong with me. I, I don't know how it works this way or why it works this way, um, but we look out and we say, I don't need friends, but I don't need friends because apparently I'm not good at being friends, so there must be something wrong with me. And we carry the weight of this. And the problem is, if you don't believe that you need friends or you're so broken you couldn't have friends if you tried, why would you try? Why would you give it your best effort? 
You can't even step into public space without a sense of trepidation about what might happen to you there because that's just not who you are. Um, it goes against everything that you might find in the scriptures. Uh, one of the wisest people to ever write, to ever live was Solomon, and he wrote this in Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10. He says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, this is verse 10, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. This idea that I don't need friends flies in the face of God saying it's not good for man to be alone, but it flies in the face of two are better than one. It's always been the case. Solomon knew it, and he wrote about it. And so at some point, if you can't address this idea in your own heart that God meant for you to have relationships and that this thing is a lie that is dragging you in the wrong direction, if you can't start to unload that from your heart, you'll never start the process. And I imagine that the hurt that you experienced, that, that's part of the relationship process. This is not simple. Jesus had this difficult stuff happen to him too. But don't withdraw from the whole thing. Because the idea in our minds is, I think if I withdraw, that would be better for me. And being alone would be better for me. And all the evidence says it's worse. It's so much worse. It can cost you 15 years of your life. Shortens your life. It does all kinds of horrible things. Isolates you. Do you believe that you don't need friends? So you need to have a conversation with God about that. Now the rest of these are a little more complicated. The second perception is, people will judge me. I don't know if I can put myself out there. People are going to judge me. I'm a little different. I'm quirky. I'm, you know, I've got some things about me that are, you know, if I were honest, I would say I'm flawed, right? Most people I talk to feel that way about themselves. They would describe themselves in that way. Now, here's, here's what's weird. Is sometimes you can actually invite judgment on yourself as you enter the process of friendship. You end up trying really hard to be something that you're not, and that's the weirdest thing you've ever been in your life. It's far weirder than the weirdness that you ever had. And, right? and everybody picks up on it like, that, I, that was off-putting. I'm not sure what just happened here. And what happened there is you were trying so hard to impress people. You were trying so hard to be something that you weren't. That it became so off-putting for people and they didn't know what to do with you. And you kind of invited uh, a sense of rejection because the authentic self that you had wasn't even in the process. We're actually warned about finding a way to please God and not man when we do this kind of stuff. But there's a second thing that can happen too, and I think I've seen this happen a lot. 
Sometimes your view of you is so poor that when you start to interact with other people, you assume that they have the same view of you that you have of yourself. And things that they say and things that they do and things that you assume that they must think that way about you, that that reaction must mean this. They never intended it. They never said it. They they never even got close. But because that's the view you have of yourself, you assume that people were like that. And so you feel judged. You feel judged when in fact they weren't even attempting to do that in the first place. And so if you're having, if you're having like a mass experience where most of the people that you run into are judgmental against you, you might stop and make sure that your heart's clear with how you're viewing yourself. Because what I've discovered is that most people are not judgmental. On the other hand, there are mean and terrible people that you run into. They're awful. You should be able to figure that out and then just keep them either in public space or work your way out of their lives. Like, it's okay. You you don't have to accept that kind of judgment. And yet some of us are so upset about being judged that we try to win over people who are mean and terrible. Just move on. Move on. There's plenty of other people out there that you could engage with. So yes, you could be judged, but many times it's not going to turn out that way. Perception number three. This one's more difficult. People might not like me. This one is difficult because it's true. There will be people who just don't like you. Sorry. I mean, there are some of you right now who are sitting there going, what? How can that be? I'm so likable. I'm nice. Everybody should like me. I don't understand. Like, you're, you're somewhat offended right now. Like, there's this perfectionistic tendency in you to go, but I want everybody to like me, which I think is odd because you don't like everybody, right? You know I'm telling the truth. You don't like everybody, so why in the world do they have to like you? Doesn't make tons of sense to me. This gets messed up. We think when people don't like us, we have to somehow fix something that's broken in us, and we turn inward, and we get mean with ourselves very quickly. I've seen it over and over and over again. Somebody doesn't like me, I'm broken, I need to fix myself, and that's what they spend their whole time on, trying to get these people to like them. It's, it's exhausting. It doesn't work. And you want to know the truth? There's stuff that's wrong with you. There is. I mean, do you honestly believe that Jesus died for you because you were somehow perfect and everybody liked you? No. You have flaws. And so does everybody else. Everybody else has flaws too. Here's the question. 
What do you do with that? Well, Solomon writes again. In Proverbs 27, he says this. As iron sharpens iron, one person sharpens another. You know what we've assumed about this little verse right here? We've assumed that the person who's helping us get better likes us, but I don't see that here. Sometimes somebody's not going to like you because you, you don't have good character. Maybe your social skills are lacking. And those are things that when you rub up against other people and you're challenged, you can grow and it makes you better. This is a good thing. But sometimes they don't like your personality. Did you choose that? They don't like the gifting you have from God. Did you choose that? They don't like the message that your life is supposed to be carrying for God. And we get all upset about that. Um, Jesus actually gave his disciples a way to think about this that I think is unique. I think sometimes we've gotten this little section of Scripture wrong. I want to be careful with it. But here it is. In Matthew chapter 10, he sent his disciples out. They're supposed to go out into the villages and preach a message of Jesus to people. And this is what they were told in verse 14. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Be careful. This is not about some judgmental act where you have disregard for people. This is not what's happening here. Um, what Jesus was suggesting is that when I send you somewhere to be who you are, I send you to give a message that I put in your life to give, and they reject you from it, I want you to shake the dust off. I don't even want you to carry the dust from that experience when you move on from there. Don't carry anything with you. Go be who I asked you to be. But some of us are so stuck with the judgment of our personality, of the gifting that God gave us, of the message that our life is supposed to be carrying at work or at these different places that we show up, that we're so intimidated from the disdain that people have for us that it weighs us down. And Jesus is like, no, I don't carry any of that. Not, not even the dust from that experience should follow you. You did what I asked you to do. Now go and do that again. And I want to tell you right now, there are people who will not like you, and it's okay. Shake the dust off that. Don't carry their disdain anywhere, and go and be the person God created you to be. Now, if it's an iron sharpens iron sort of thing, if you need to cha be challenged to grow, that's great. Grow. But why would you let somebody's disdain for you so mark up your life that you're afraid to enter into a process to make relationships because you're afraid others might not like you too. Don't carry the weight of their responsibility. It's not yours. Yours is to be who God created you to be. Now remember, we're talking about perceptions that prevent us from entering into the process of relationships. And this last one is difficult. Um, it's difficult because I have a different take on this. And um, I'm going to ask you to hear the whole take. Just hear the whole thing. 
okay? Uh, the last one is, uh, people say, I can't make friends, <clears throat> there's too many clicks. I've never heard a conversation about clicks that's been positive. It's, it's always been a negative thing. And I can understand um, part of the reason why. Let me give you my background. Just to, I just want to remind you, I think I mentioned this last, last week. I was at a church before this as a pastor um, of Connections. And it was uh, my job to help people find a way to connect with each other. Which meant when you're in a group of 200 or even 1,000 people, it wasn't gonna, you weren't, you weren't going to feel connected in that way. You needed to find smaller groups. And so I was, I was working hard at putting people in small groups all over that community. And we had over 100 small groups operating. And I was starting to see, like, the fruits of that. People were actually caring for each other. They were praying for each other. They were supporting each other. It was exciting to me. And then what I was experiencing is I had some people come in. And they were looking at all of that. And they were like, we can't make friendships here. Look at all the clicks. And I was like, that's what I'm trying to do. Like, I'm... I'm trying to get that to happen, and yet it's causing a problem on the other side. What in the world am I supposed to do here? Like, how, how can I solve this problem? And it took me a while. It took me a while to get to the bottom of this. But I finally figured out that there are two different problems that are operating when it comes to this. And both of them have to be addressed. So the first problem happens... Um, when, when this kind of happens in somebody's life, they enter into a process where they start to get some decent friends, and they, they've got a small group, they've got a people that they're close with, and they conclude, I don't need any more friends. It's not like they don't need friends, they just don't need any more friends. And because they don't need any more friends, they don't put any effort into being friendly or kind on anybody else on any of the layers. If somebody would say, I don't need any more friends, my first question would be, what layer of friendship are we talking about? I mean, are you talking about intimate friends and personal friends? Because nobody could assign those to you anyway, and you may actually be full. You may actually be filled up with those at that level. But at the social level and public level, those are churning all the time. They're changing. Those, those don't stay static for your whole lifetime. So you could have the option of engaging with somebody at that level, and it would be helpful. So when you conclude, I don't need any more friends, you, you need to start thinking about what happens because when the idea of I don't need any more friends gets a hold in a community, what happens is people start giving cold shoulders to people who are looking for friendship. I, I don't need a friend. I don't need any more friends. So I don't need you. Here's my back. And people feel that. They feel that sense of rejection. And it is not who the body of Christ is. So that's one part of it. But there's a, second, there's a second part. Sometimes people come in and they, 
they see people who obviously have a sense of community with each other. And they immediately want that level of relationship without all of the work that somebody did to get that level of relationship. So, so you have people who are really caring for each other. And you know why? Because after months and years of being together, they've developed a sense, like, they were there at some of the highest moments in life with each other, and they celebrated. And, and they were there when one of them got drugged through the mud and didn't know if they were going to make it or not. And they, they stood by them, and they loved them. And on the other side of that, they had a different kind of relationship. That, that's what happens. And sometimes people see that and they're like, that is so awesome. I'm going to interact with those people. And if I don't get that level of relationship, I'm just going to write them off as being a click. But for all of history, trust has always been earned, never given. You, you can't short-circuit the process. And so, let me give you some thoughts. Let me give you some practical stuff. When you understand these two things are going on um, with people all the time, what could we do about it? Let me give you three quick ideas. One, be careful when you enter a different environment with your friends. Like if you're in a public space like a weekend service like this, but you're treating it like social space or you're treating it like personal space that causes you to alienate others in that space, you're making a mistake. Like we want you to have those kind of relationships. There's, there's places for that to happen. But when it happens here, and we're offering people a cold shoulder, we're communicating something about our community that I don't believe is true, that we don't care. I think there are a lot of caring people here. But if you're hanging out with your crew, and it's just your crew, you're making things worse. Try to spend some time just split apart, talking to a few other people, and then, and then if you want to find each other and have a chat, that's awesome. But just uh, make the effort. Understanding, you know what? I know what environment we're in right now. I've got to be in that environment for people to engage. Why? Well, here's the second thought. Uh, part of what happens with the thinking of I don't need any more friends, and quite frankly, any of the other perceptions that we just talked about, is that um, I don't want to do this because it protects me, and I just want to say this as clearly as I can. It's not about you. It's not. You're part of God's kingdom, 
because he has assigned you with gifts and skills and abilities that are for the sake of other people. And you may get great things out of it as you engage, but there may be people who are here who are lonely and willing to have a public relationship with us that would honestly save their life from so much pain But we don't do it because it's uncomfortable for us. Or we don't do it because we think, well, I'm I'm too odd. People aren't going to like me. They might be as odd as you are, and they're looking for somebody who's as odd as they are, who will interact with them. Like, if you're afraid of being odd or weird, come up with a game plan where when you start to feel rejected, you can just make a joke of it and say, well, I'm weird like that. Just, like, blow it off and tell the truth. But at some level, there is a level of responsibility that we have to start having for what God chooses to, like, we don't have any control about who comes to Waypoint. I believe God does that. I believe God brings people through our door. And if you're in community here, you have an opportunity to rub shoulders with those people and find out what's going on in their lives. It starts at the public level. Just give some people some public space. Why? Because it's where the level of friendship starts. And we're needing more people to be involved in that. Three. This is a big one. Don't judge those who have connection. Don't assume about them that they're a clique. What I found more often than not in conversations with people is that their, the attempt to talk to them wasn't even had. Like they didn't go up and talk to somebody and get a cold shoulder. They assumed they would get a cold shoulder, and they saw it that way. I, I am convinced that there are genuinely loving and kind people in our community who would just have a, a conversation with you if you wanted it. Now, if, if you're like, no, I want them to be my personal friend immediately, that, that's scary. Like, nobody's doing that. But they could talk with you. They could find out about your life. They could check up on you. They could see what's going on with your job. All of that's possible. As long as you don't assume the worst. The reality is we are trying to find a way to help people connect. And when everybody starts to be judged for that, then you start to wonder, why are we doing this? Well, we got it. We got to. Because, my friends, life will hit the fan for you someday. I guarantee it. And when it happens, there'll be a group of people in your corner who walk with you through that. And there's nothing like it in life. Unless you're alone. Then it's devastating. So we got to give each other permission for this kind of stuff. We have to. Ben, can I invite you up here? To finish up. Can we just um, admit this together? We're all just a bunch of broken people trying to figure stuff out. 
I mean, that's it. We, we, don't, we don't have all of this dialed in. We, we carry these um, perceptions from our experiences, from other things that we've done that make life hard and make this thing of friendship even more challenging. But it's challenging for you, but it's also challenging for others as well. I've not found yet somebody where friendship is just the easiest thing they've ever experienced in life. This is difficult. We're all broken. But if you're not careful, you will let perceptions that you have about the way friendships work so color the landscape that you can't engage in a process that God designed. You need time face-to-face at different levels in order to experience connection. What's getting in your way? Did God nudge you at all with anything this morning and say, you know what, if I could just get you to adjust this, it would be the right direction for you. I want to let you reflect on that as the band sings.